Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for the Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy you're with us today. You are so welcome here. This is a come as you are podcast. And I've said this because this is true. I want, even if you're underneath the covers, at home, in bed, and you just don't want to get out or get up because you're in extreme grief, depression, sadness, something happened today that you just don't want to face the world. Great. I mean, not great. I'm sorry you're going through this. But if you're happy and you're taking a walk on a lake or in some people are in winter, some people are in the summer where they are, our our Australia friends, and wherever you are, you are so welcome. And if you know of anyone who'd be interested in the Grief Recovery Now podcast, please share this with them. Our movement, Grief Recovery, is a strong one. And we want to educate people and know that you don't have to do it alone. We're here for you. And we can smash the myths of grief that start in childhood, we don't even realize the filters that we walk through that are subconscious. When you're wondering, oh, how come I can't seem to have a relationship that lasts a long time? How come I keep going through jobs? Why am I reacting the way that I do with people I love? And so on and so on. Anyway, I have a segment of the podcast that I talk about just some, you know, there's Charlene thoughts. Well, I decided I am now going to officially call it Charlene's off the cuff at the beginning of every podcast. And off the cuff means not prepared. And I don't mean I get on here, turn on the recording for grief recovery podcast, and I just start talking at the top of my brain. I always do a meditation or a bath. And just to let you know, when we take a bath, It's probably one of the best meditations because the skin is the largest organ in our body. So when you get in a bath, you shift. And I respect this program, this podcast too much to just not be centered and grounded. And in my, if you know what a sage is, someone who is in just total love in every moment. And I want to come from listening to the wisdom from within, my divine intelligence, to be able to put on the best podcast I can humanly possibly do. So today we're going to talk about music and grief. Music has played such an important part of my life. I remember, I'll give you an example, and maybe you can use this too. So anything I talk about, please feel free to use it. Any tips? And there's short-term things I can help you with. Or things that even if it's a short little exercise, it could forever change you. That is my goal with you. My mother died and my father died. And I've talked about this in my previous podcasts. And I would use songs to just take me to a place to honor my grief. I don't know. I just intuitively knew that this is what I need to be part of my healing. And this was early on, my dad when I was 16, and my mother when I was 29. They both left the planet very quickly. No time to say goodbye. And even though my father died when I was 16, I didn't know this exercise at that time. I, many of you know that I'm sober, clean and sober for many, many years. And I remember at one point in early sobriety, I had two songs for my parents that I would play And it would take me to another place. And I would just sob and sob and sob at the beginning for a long time. And then as I continued to listen to the songs, 
I didn't have that crying anymore, some healing and recalibration in my grief to grief recovery happened. And one of the songs was by Whitney Houston. It was called All at Once for my mother. Because as I said, I let my my parents died instantly, heart attacks, aneurysms. And knowing our parents died was, hey, mom died. You know, I'd get a phone call. Oh, dad died. And that was it. And that was how they left the planet quickly. And so I remember the Whitney Houston song was like, all at once. Get the song if you've had someone who died very quickly or, you know, someone who has been sick for a long time or whatever the reason on the loss, even divorce, even estrangement, please use music. But all at once just got me just the way she's saying. And I would cry, cry, cry. And my boyfriend at the time said, why do you listen to this song all the time? He goes, you cry all the time. I said, because I just feel like it's the right thing to do. And it feels healing. It feels great. It feels like I'm honoring my mother. And then there was another song by my for my father. I don't know if anybody remembers this, but Mike and the Mechanics. It's about a father or a son that talks about his father and how he didn't honor the advice his father said. And I, I don't know why, I just forgot what the song was, but look at, and it played on the radio at the time, all the time. So that's another one. I would just sob. And I believe tears water your soul. And someone told me that once. And you know what? Since then I've honored it. I've accepted it. And when I can, even though I want to squelch it, I still honor my heart. I talk about the heart a lot. I think music reaches the heart. And nowadays, music therapy is huge. My niece is a music therapist. She helps men in prison use music therapy to help heal them and help them live in the world right and help them with their anxiety and mental illness and all that stuff. It's not nothing. I think it's vibrational. It's a higher vibration. No words is needed. And there's more than meets the eye with all of this. So that's my off the cuff today and grief recovery now. And I'm going to introduce you now to our awesome guest who I'm so enthusiastic about. And I thought about having him for a few months. And then I was like, you know, I'll know Divine Tommy when he's supposed to be on the show. And then one day I go, I'm going to reach out to Sonny Mayo. His time has come for his time on Grief Recovery Podcast. So let me tell you a little bit about him before we bring him on. Sonny Mayo is an accomplished recording artist a board member, as well as a program administrator for the nonprofit organization Rock to Recovery. He does breath, he's a breathwork practitioner and an accountability coach. Grief has played a pivotal role in Sonny's spiritual transformation and his recovery from addiction and alcoholism, as well as being an asset in assisting others with their grief. Sonny was guided through the Grief Recovery Handbook in May, June of 2020, after the deaths of four friends and two of his dogs within a six-month period. Life happens, everyone. That's why we're here. We can't avoid it. So help me welcome Sonny Mayo. Welcome, Sonny. Yeah, it's going on all around the world. Uh, I can feel it. The claps. I know it. Can you hear it? I can. I can feel it in my heart. Yeah. Hi, Charlene. Hi. So happy you said yes to this. And as you know, we talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Mm -hmm. And so what I love, too, is that you had gone through the Grief Recovery Handbook, which is the Grief Recovery Method. But before we get to this, can you tell us what it was like regarding the grief space in your life? growing up, what comes to mind, but where it all started. Right. Well, I, first of all, I'm so happy to be here. And the song is called the living years by my living Kennedy. years yeah. in the living years. Yes, Thank yes. you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's so, the lyrics of that are so good. I mean, it's literally, it's about um, every generation blames the one before and all this other stuff, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I had an off the cuff brain but. Yeah, you're rolling. That's when it comes. That's when it happens. You're like that one thing that I've listened to a million times that I can't remember what it's called. Oh, right. So I get it. So, but I was like, I'm going to help her out here. I'm going to look it up. And I was like, oh yeah, say it loud. Right. Say it clear. Yeah. So anyway, great song. And um, so I can tell you this, I, I realized this after I got sober and after I was um, recovered, I say recovered from alcoholism 
um, because I, I took the 12 steps as outlined in the in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not a representative of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it works in my life. Right? I'm not speaking on behalf of AA. Don't take my word as to be to be AA doctrine. But I've recovered. I'm not suffering from alcoholism anymore. And so once I had taken the 12 steps and really was like, wow, I, I'm changing. I've been changed. These realizations of who I am and what I've experienced as a human started to become very clear because the biggest problem was drugs and alcohol, right? And all the trying to manage my way of getting and using and, and getting away with it and getting more and not ruining my life, but I can't ruin, not ruin my life because I'm powerless and on and on. And so this realization came to me that I sensed that I was born sad. Like I have this feeling I was born sad and I went, whoa. And so it's almost, I don't, you know, generational trauma, generational grief. I don't really know. But it felt like that. And so I've, I had felt that I really walked through life with unprocessed grief, however long, how, from whenever it started. My parents got divorced, all this other, you know, pets died and all that, and then moving and uh, broken heart and all this other stuff, right? And so the, the one that I, because I have a lot of loss, and the thing I love about the grief recovery system is that it does sort of honor and, uh, and note that it's not just about death, about someone dying. It can be actually a good thing. Like I got a new job or I moved into an amazing new place that it's an upgrade from my last place. But there's sort of a loss. There's a death of a, of a, of a certain way, of a certain being of, of our lives that does deserve to be uh, acknowledged, if not honored, if not you know celebrated. So when my dad was diagnosed with uh, multiple myeloma bone cancer in 2013. I was around 11, 12 years sober. My dog had just been diagnosed with with cancer on his heart, and like it, this was 2013, and it felt like my and my marriage was falling apart. By the way, as well, in late 2012, my wife told me she was not happy in our marriage, and so my I, I, it felt as though my life were falling to pieces, and technically it was, and. I'm grateful that I have a fellowship. I have a connection with um, like-minded spiritual folks and sober community. They they really lifted me up. They supported me. I spent time. I live in Los Angeles, but I spent a lot of time in Colorado with my dad while he was uh, um, going through chemo and then ultimately passing away. And I and I found a community there. I went to AA meetings in Fort Collins and Denver and all over the place, and they sustained me. Right. I sought support and I got it. And I just shared what I, what I was going through. I'm like, I'm, I'm miserable. My life is falling apart. And I had been like, I've had success. I was successful in the music business. I was touring. I was in a successful touring band. And when my dog died, I had a spiritual awakening with this wonderful creature named Buckley where I realized that while I was praying and meditating with him at my side, I was sending this energy from me to the, the tumor, the cancer that was in his body. And I was cursing it. And I was sending the, the energy of capital F at this cancer that was happened to be on his heart. And I realized that I was sending that energy into the heart of this creature that I love more than anything in the world. And so I real and I so I went <gasps> and I seized myself back and I was like, oh my God, I can't do and though I had to actually start praying for cancer. <laughs> Like wishing it well, wishing it okay. We talked about Anthony DeMello before. I don't know if anyone is familiar, but I did this prayer for this this tumor to grow in any way it sees fit and to be what it has to be in, in so many words. And so I, I then got to do this with my father. And you were talking about music. I got to, um, which obviously you know, I'm a musician, right? I got to do this thing with my dad. I was playing in a band called Ugly Kid Joe. This band had a lot of success in the early 90s, broke up for a while, got back together, and I, and I ended up producing and engineering, co-producing and engineering a record with them, and they do the song Cats in the Cradle. So they do a cover, so Ugly Kid Joe did a cover of the, of the, um, of the uh, Harry Chapin song Cats in the Cradle, which is the awesome song. Right, quintessential father and son song. Well, I had to learn the song to, to go on tour with them and play it live, and the time that I had to learn it, the period of time I had to learn it, was when my father was in ICU in Colorado. His lungs were filling with fluid. He'd had all the chemo. He'd had all the antibiotics, and his body was shutting down. So there I was at my father's bedside, and he was in an induced coma, but he could hear me. He, could, he was aware of what was going on. And I sat my phone on his lap, and I learned the song oh. right there with, with my father 
and then we say goodbye to him a couple of days later. Yeah, so it was a beautiful experience, right? So there's there's these healing things that naturally come my way, but then so fast forward a little bit. I mean, Charlene, I've I've had two heart attacks. I had a heart attack in 2016. You did? Attack, yeah, I had a heart attack in 2018. The first one was because of what you could refer to as genetic coronary artery disease. And the second one was because I had the, the, the worst flu I've ever had in my life. And it actually affected my coronary, my um, cardiovascular system so much that my, my arteries actually were inflamed. The soft tissue in my body was so inflamed that two of the stents that I had were closing and causing a blo- another blockage of a, a blood clot. So there's some grief around that as well, right? These are things that have, all the things that have kind of happened in my life, I was going to say to me, but they just happened in my life that have put me in this position to either accept or cave in. Uh-huh. And then so we go on, going on into 2019 to 20. And I, like you mentioned in the intro, four of my friends died in succession. Drug use. One of them, I think, had COVID, but it was he was in London. He was in England. He was a touring uh, tour manager. He had asthma. And I think he got it on the road and went into the hospital in like December of um, 19 and never came out. And mm-hmm. he was so rad. Todd Devereaux. We called him Toad. And then another friend um, died of uh, stomach cancer, and another friend was murdered. Oh. oh, I didn't mention that's oh, it's five because my friend Natalie took her own life in November of 2019. So there was five friends who died, and then my one of my dogs died right before, literally the day before the lockdowns. Dodger, Dodger dog, and then my dad's dog, who I took after he died. My sister had him, and then I had him. He died in May of 2020. So I was just like, I mean. Just like a continuous string of these things. And although I was okay, quote unquote, I was suffering. I was hurting. I was grieving. I didn't know what to do. And how do you know when you have that? We were never taught. We were taught how to get, not how to lose. Yep. And I was thinking just before, so we'll talk about this later right away, but you had the support. What was great. You talked about how you were supported by the 12 step community. And that kind of works. So everyone, I believe in the peer-to-peer model, which is a, a, and so many other recovery organizations. And then here you are, you're on the road. There are certain things like the song timing. I call it divine timing. Who'd have thought that during your dad in the hospital is dying or very sick. I don't know if you knew at the time. And then you're listening. Then you have to learn a song by Harry Chapin. Mm-hmm. I believe sometimes we get gifts and we don't see the connection. Yeah. And I just thank God that you've done some work and you, you're you available to see the connections. And I don't want to say anybody who's in extreme grief and you're just in it. Honor, honor that. And I always tell people, just don't stay in it. Do whatever you can to crawl out of it. But give yeah. yourself time. And so you were able, and you know, I tell people do grief recovery work and when you do lose someone in the future, you will be different because you're different in relationships before they die mm-hmm. or before the loss or even in a divorce or whatever. But anyway, so go ahead. Your heart attacks much must have scared you because yeah. I had a real bad flu. And I swear, I didn't know if it was my lungs or my heart scared mm-hmm. the heck out of me. Yes, because it, in this time of COVID, people, certain people had a tendency to kind of brush it off. Well, it's just like the flu. Well, I had the flu and it caused me to have a heart attack. So should I not be worried about that? Hmm? Right. And the flu kills people. The flu kills people. Um, so uh, yes, honor that. And I, one of the things I, I'm, I'm so grateful, uh, I'll tell you the succession of, of the time frame of, of when I actually did the grief recovery program, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so rad that I did. And when I met you, I was like, oh man, I think I'm, I think I want to be on her podcast. And I didn't say anything to you. And then a, a year later or whatever, you're like, Sonny, you know what? I think you'd be good for the podcast. I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> You're so right. So, um, yeah, when like after Bisbee died, my dog, my dad's dog, May second of of uh, twenty. A few days later, a week or so later, I started to do therapy. I started a, with a new therapist, but then a um, a supporter and like dear friend of Rock to Recovery. Her name is Genevieve Morton. She contacted the our ball our, our CEO Wes Gear, who's my dear friend, and she said, "Hey Wes, you know I'd like to be uh, connected with Rock to Recovery. I do a program. I'm a facilitator for a program called Grief Recovery. I'd like to be connected with you guys." She he goes, "Great," and she goes, "Awesome. May I take you through the process?" And my dear friend Wes 
knew what, everything was going on with me. And he said, hmm, I think you should take Sonny through it. And she said, do you think he'd be into it? Wes called me and, and started telling me about it. And I, my jaw was on the floor. I, before he even asked, I was, I was thinking, I want to do that. And he goes, yeah. So I told her that, that he, she should take you through it. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So I, I went through it with her. And it's incredible, man. I'm telling you, like, the, 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 the truths that I sort of knew inside, like the things that, that, um, that people say, like, you should grieve alone or like, don't feel bad. They're in a better place or you got to be strong for others or all these, like these things. Like when I had my, my first heart attack or even my second one, people would say to me, oh man, I'll bet, and I have it written down right here. I'll bet you are, you're really grateful to be alive now. Like life must taste so much sweeter. And I'm, and I thought, no, no, no. I was already grateful. I'm terrified now. I think I'm going to die any second. So am I supposed to feel like I'm right? There's this like uh, projection of, of how others think we're supposed to. And it's been a cultural thing. How in our culture, like you said, we're not taught how we're taught how to get stuff, but never how to lose things. Right. That's part of the grief recovery model. Yes. But it stuck with me. And so all of these truths that, like the things that people would say and shit, excuse me, the p- things that people would say during a time of grief that rubbed me the wrong way, I did the grief recovery handbook and I went, of course, of course that rubbed me the wrong way. It's not cool. It's not loving. It doesn't help me to hear people say that God needed my friend Amy or God needed my friend Cato or God called Natalie home. No, she killed herself. Right. I don't even say she committed suicide, took her own life, whatever. I say killed herself because we need, I think we need to say this language because otherwise we're in a state of potentially in a state of denial. Yeah. They passed. I mean, if you say it, you say it, but sometimes like they died, especially talking to children. Right. I'm doing a thing now getting certified on how to talk to children in grief. Boy, will it help a lot of people. Transitioned. um, Let, like I would say um, we, we let him go. Yeah, I would. I have it written down right there. I have my, my some of my notes from from my grief recovery in front of me because it was. I was like, this is interesting to me. Yeah, I would catch myself editing. Yeah, we let you know we let Bisbee go. It's no, I we actually we put him to sleep. We euthanized him, right? Um, or he passed or whatever. Or like sometimes in a relationship, <clears throat> or when a relationship ends, like I've been married twice and divorced twice, and and I get my dear sweet friends, mostly women who are so they love me dearly. I love them dearly, and they say some of the most ridiculous stuff. Like, you'll find your soulmate. Yeah, you'll find another. <laughs> <laughs> or I just want you to be happy, and I'm like, well, what makes you think I'm not happy? Or what makes you think that I have that getting a person to be with me is going to make me happy? Can't I be my own soulmate? Can I be my soulmate? I'm not incomplete if I die single, right? right? There's, so there's a it's and it's not like they're intentionally trying to shame or anyone's trying to intentionally shame unless they are, but that's not, it isn't. This isn't. This is a, a a good intention, but I think we're unaware. We're not conscious of what we're saying, and and what it means to the person who's going through what they're going through. Yeah, and they're well-meaning friends and family. And when please anyone out there, part of why I have this podcast to just give you a little tips on take it or leave it. But if you you may have had a husband die. And or and your friend lost a husband. Be careful to say, I know how you feel. You don't. It's like when I tell people, my clients, I go, I I do not know how you feel. I know how only how I feel. So I'm here from you. I am a heart with ears. Think about when you're going to go to a funeral awake or talk to a friend. Just put your face as a big heart. And then with this, these huge ears on that heart and just listen. And I tell people. I'm devastated for you. My heart goes out to you. Whatever, you know, use things that are more affirming, but yet just be with them and not try to think that you know how they feel because you don't. It's huge. It's huge. When I've talked to people and I said, yeah, my father died. They go, mine too. I know how it feels. And I said, hmm, how was your relationship with your father? Oh my God, we were so close. We loved each other. I go, that's interesting because my father and I weren't close. Yeah. Even I did some work as he was dying six months that he was getting chemo and that, and he was dying. 
I did some work myself. Like I just spoke to him. I just asked him every question I could ever think of. And he answered some of them and he, and he blew off some of them. And he said, I don't know. What are you talking about? You know, he didn't know what I was talking about with other ones. I did it for myself. I was like, I need to know this man as much as I can before he goes. Mm -hmm. My poor father, he had this, you know, blame the generation before his father beat the ever living tar out of him. Before and after my, my grandfather found Jesus and became a Pentecostal pastor, he beat the snot out of my dad and his siblings and his wife. And so my dad was this poor atheist, rigid, like um, hugging my dad was like hugging a, a folding chair. <laughs> oh, so your dad became a atheist because of the Pentecostal? You could say that. I mean, you could say it pushed him in that direction. Uh, I don't know if it's because of it, but he did, He knew the Bible. He knew all the begats and the, you know, I had a kitty. There's your kitty over there. Um, he knew all the things. Cats love my voice, by the way. Cats always come when I'm on Oh. Zoom. Yeah. When I do my breath work facilitating on uh, Saturday mornings on Zoom, my friend's cat always comes in and comes up to the screen. <laughs> oh, great. Well, anybody, just to let you know, I know this is audio, but there is a kitty on the screen. Yeah. And Sorry, I, I love animals, so I just kind of t- tend to go there. He's um, our mascot. Yeah, so when the whole thing happened with Genevieve saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to take you through the grief recovery handbook, we met on Zoom. We discussed some things, and she suggested – I told her about all this stuff, and she suggested that we do it – do at least the specific round on my father, right? And because the way we talked about it, she was a heart with ears. I love that that visual. I love the, the concept. I um, – I can naturally do that as well. I love what you said. One of the things about people who are grieving, like a dear friend of mine managed meatloaf for 12 years and he just died. Meatloaf did. And when we got on the phone, when I called her and she answered and she was sobbing, I just breathed and I just went and I let her hear me breathe. And then I just opened my ears and just sat, listened. She cried. I said a couple, we talked a little bit. I said, you know, where are you? What's going on with this? And, and is, you know, who are you with and all that? And then she started talking about some of the good things when she was laughing and then she was crying again. And then she, that is grieving, crying, mm-hmm. laughing, crying, laughing, getting angry, crying, laughing, getting angry, again. right? This is grief. Accepting the waves that come through of emotions. You're feeling good. And all of a sudden, boom, you'll see something. I don't care if it's a sniff of a whiff of something, mm-hmm. music, little porcelain dollar. I don't know what, but it's your own journey. Yeah. And I always tell people you get in the nooks and crannies, things you continually think about through maybe your adulthood that happened to ch- as a child. That's not nothing. Right. Sometimes it, it just has to be looked at and you don't have to look at it for the rest of your life, but there's the forgives, there's apologies and significant events. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledge them. There'll be happy, significant events, not so happy, significant events. It's such a beautiful way of doing it. And I'm so happy when I asked you to come on the podcast, I didn't even know you did the grief recovery method. So this is just like such a beautiful gift. So how about you? Like, what was like something that's significant that happened that you brought up that was with you? Like I had a mother, my mother, I remember she took a pair of shoes that were mine and she took it for herself, even though she paid for them. But I thought they were mine. We got into a fight, I think physical. And I told her I hated her. And it still came to me years later. Anything like that happened that I needed to apologize for, first of all, to say, I hate you. And then to forgive my mother for, in my mind, for not being motherly. And in my mind, taking something from me that belonged to me. So this is sort of like the... uh the initial kind of apology type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. My parents were getting divorced. and were, I mean, it was awful. They were, I don't know why they were married, but it was terrible in our home uh, for the first like 12 years until they got divorced. And based on the 12 years, uh, subsequent 12, uh, the preceded 12 years, I made decisions, 12, 13 year old. I chose sides. I chose my mom's side. In the fighting, it always seemed like he was the bad guy or he was the more dominant one. I realize now that they both had their part in it. And uh, I rebelled against him. I rebelled against my father, you know, and I, I mean, it was like, it fueled me. It fueled, I, was, uh, I played in metal bands and I was so angry. I was so viciously angry. And like, I am human as well, like we were talking about earlier, but I, but my nature is kindness. It isn't my nature to be kind, to be compassionate. And I'm human, so I get super pissed at plenty of things, right? 
And so I was very angry at him and I rebelled and I stayed away from him, stuff like that. There wasn't like one specific, the one specific thing was that I, I guess that I was going to say there's not one, but my parents had divorced. They had had separate homes. My mom was coming to get me, but my, but I had been rebelling against everything and been putting like all these posters up in my house, in my room, Motley Crue and Kiss and Metallica and ACDC and all this like metal and and my dad was like, you got to take all those posters down. Because it was like, that was what was making me whatever, right? Metal was the thing that was making. That was my refuge. That was my savior, was music. Even the rebellious music was, was my savior. And so my mom was coming to get me. My dad said, you can't leave until you take down the, all, all of the posters. And I'm talking about from floor to ceiling. I had cut magazine, you know, magazine things up and hung them on the wall and posters and stuff. And so my mom comes in and they're fighting. They're downstairs yelling and screaming. And then I hear this like a sound, like somebody just got pushed to the ground. And so I grab, I had this tennis racket that I had. It was before I started playing guitar and I had a, like a cardboard guitar cut out that I taped to the front of the tennis racket so I could act like I was jamming. And I ran down there with it as a weapon. And I was like, Oh, effing kill you at my dad. And he looked at me. I mean, it, I, I went, <clears throat> Like he, it, he reached into my chest and grabbed my heart. I was like, oh, he didn't even touch me, but he just looked at me. He's like, you better put that down. Like it was, just, it was shocking. And I just dropped it and ran back upstairs. But yeah, that's I a significant him. event. Yes. I hated him after that. I was like, he hit my mom. He beats my mom. I had, and I don't even really know. I don't know what happened. She had her, her interpretation of it. She had her part just as much as he did. I know, I know them both now. They're humans. They were in the art. You know, my dad's gone, but my mom's still alive. They're human. Everybody has their part to play. So that was probably a very significant one. But the whole thing too, like the, uh, the process with it of doing one weekly session and then doing the work in between, it's not the most difficult work either. No, you know, seven quote, weeks on one-on-ones. Yeah, I do. I do air quotes a lot, but it's like work is like, it's just some effort. Like, you know, my, my second week, there's, you know, a couple, the couple, three pages and these are the stirbs, right? I can't remember what, I never remember. Short term energy relieving behaviors. Energy relieving behavior. Yeah. Everything from fantasy to addiction to what else did I have? Uh, Isolation, uh, porn um, or sex in general. Exercise. I did the Santa Monica stairs, which if anybody knows, is this this set of stairs that's like 140 steps. And I just went up and down them for hours, just walking up and down. And it's insane. I used to not be able to do two up and down without almost falling over. And I would just walk them for hours, Charlene, after I got divorced. That's after I got divorced, which was after my dad died, after my dog died, and so on. Um, Yeah, that's numbing. You may not have been drinking, but you were doing something. Yeah, yeah. And I call those... They don't have that in the book, but I call long-term energy-relieving behaviors. Mm. Long-term. Yeah, especially addiction, even though I believe sometimes, you know, it is whatever you think about addiction and all that. It is something, but it is just a symptom of it, symptom of what's going on. It's the ism part for alcoholism. But like walking like that, exercise, it's just hampering, hampering, hampering. But you did it to save your ass. I mean, you probably would have killed someone or homicidal or suicidal. Potentially, yeah. And I also used AA, AA work, like working with, I I took, I took probably 12 people through the steps in that couple, in a two year period. I guess so. Yeah. But I mean, I definitely was also using it to, to isolate on some levels as helpful as it, I wrote as helpful as it is on some levels, I was also distracting myself from the grief. I, I mean, it's, it's written right here. I, I, I know I did that social media, all that kind of stuff. Right. And to realize it's okay. As long as thankfully I eventually became aware of it. And so that's the thing is like, when can we become aware of it? I don't know what it takes for anybody besides me to finally become aware of like, oh my God, this is unprocessed grief. Mm -hmm. Okay. What we didn't talk about yet is the timeline. Oh yeah. Well, those things, I don't talk too much about the method. Okay. Okay. If we're going to take someone through. Got it. Got it. And just so I didn't know about it. And I'm so glad I just went step by step sort of blind. And and we say, read this chapter. Don't go any farther. And then you can do other work afterwards. But no, I 
appreciate that, what you're doing and your enthusiasm. For yeah, it. yeah, I'm very enthusiastic. And what we have to look at is what we do. We can all eat, right? The same thing is you don't know what I'm feeling as I don't know what you're feeling unless you share it with me and why we do things. The stairs, some people said, hey, I'm doing it because I want to challenge myself. You did it because you wanted to escape from something. Mm-hmm. So look at your motives behind your actions. Exactly. Yeah. That's the awareness oh. you're talking about, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like, know thyself. Mm-hmm. And you'll know that yourself, even though you know, all of a sudden you'll do the work. And grief recovery method is not the only thing you could use. That's why I say music has helped me and other things. And it doesn't yeah. have to be the seven week, even though that's a great thing to have in your, your toolbox of life. I tell you, I would love everyone to do it, even though you don't think you have grief. So what is it like now, now that you're using it, what is your relationship like with your dad, with death in general, with any of the changes with divorce? How do you treat, how are you now as a human being and how you are in significant relationships that you're in, that you've learned from like with your dad or your relationships, you know, marriage or whatever, how are you going to go forward in your life from doing this type of work? Yeah, well, I had this fantastic experience on the, funny enough, I'll just wrap up about the grief, actual process, grief recovery. Oh, yeah, please. Because when I, because it's a seven-week program, and when I started it, I didn't realize that that the seventh-week appointment with Genevieve was on the seventh anniversary of my father's death. Mm. It was June 19th of 2020 that I did it. He had died on June 19th of 2013. That was, uh, and, and when I called her and I was like, hey, that day I was like, hey, today she goes, I, she, she mapped it out. She already knew. She's like, I saw that, Sonny, and and I was hoping that you weren't going to cancel any. I didn't cancel a single session. Some some people do and understood if, if that's what you got to do, you, I need more time, whatever. But I just stayed on it. I mean, I was locked down because of my heart condition and stuff and, and yeah. try not to get COVID and die. But it was profound. I had a profound experience. The things that I that I needed to apologize for was a was a list of I don't know eight or ten. The things that I asked forgiveness for, or I no uh, sorry yeah eight, yeah for the things that I forgave him for was like twenty, and then the significant emotional uh, what's the significant emotional yeah. events mm-hmm. was like thirty. So it was like apology, forgive, and significant emotional events it was they like they ticked up statements yeah there were so many wonderful things that i was like wow and it wasn't that i it isn't that i'm only remembering the good times right that's another misnomer or or a misconception is don't think about the bad times well what if that's all we had it's not one size fits all yes isn't if you all what if you only had two good times and 50 bad times Okay, sure. Think about the two good times, but we got to process those bad ones. And so I processed them and then I got to go, hey, dad, I want you to know this and I want you to know this. And while I was doing it, I'm actually visualizing this man in front of me. And it was, I could see him and it was as though his physical visage, if you will, from what I originally, when she said, hey, imagine your dad, I saw him a certain way. And as I went through this, his physical appearance changed within me in my visual field. And he became he became this one particular age where I was like where he was on fire. That's why I started calling him pops. I was like, yeah, pops. Like so in the in the um, in the work as I was apologizing, I called him dad. And then when I went to about halfway through, I forgive you. It turned into pops. And then when it was like, I want you to know about these wonderful my favorite memory and whatever of, of this. It was all pops. Everything's pops from then on. And that's the term of endearment. And this guy, what he would say to me sometimes, like what he started saying toward the end, he was so funny, man, because he was, he did not, he had such a struggle with being intimate, but he would say, well, I sure do love you. Yeah. yeah." You know, it was like this, well, I I love you. And so. It is so beautiful his own way. So I started saying it back to him like that in this funny way. And then at the end of it, like I, as I was writing this all out that I, I wrote, you know, I want you to know that you lived on in Bisbee, in his dog that I had for seven years. I'm like, well, sorry, I only had him for three. My sister had him for, for the first four. But I'm like, you lived on in Bisbee. And then it, then it just totally came down. As The next thing, when I was done, I went, I sure do love you. Goodbye, pops. And then I literally, and you can watch him kind of walk away, almost like meta meditation, if anyone yeah. ever does that. He turned and walked away. And I could swear to God, I saw Bisbee, or I felt it. Now, when I reflect on my father now, there is, it feels different. 
it is at times like, oh, my dad, oh man, there's a sadness, mainly for the physical suffering that that man endured mm-hmm. all through his life. He had a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, accidents. This thing fell on his head. He had a brain injury. He had Lyme disease at one point. Mm-hmm. He had all these physical injuries. He was an athlete, so he ripped his body to shreds. And so I kind of, and then he had gnarly cancer. So those are the kind of things that I go, oof. But then when I look back on it, like when I think about my dad, I'm like, yeah, my pops, you know, I learned cats in the cradle while he was dying. You know, I, uh, my favorite memory of my entire life was seeing the first Star Wars when I was five years old in the theater. And my dad, I didn't know what it was. I thought we were going to see Star Trek. I was five. My dad's like, you want to go see Star Wars? And I was like, yeah, Captain Kirk. Yeah. I love the, I love Spock. I love, right. We go in there and then I and then did the crawl in Star Wars. And I was five and my and I looked at my dad, I was like, this is amazing. And I see his smile and like all these little things that just kind of those are the things. And I'm not mm, they come naturally. I don't have to go, I don't want to think about the bad times. I don't want to think about those are the things that come up now. Those are the things that come up. Yeah. Right? And you know what? You took the time to do it. You know what? I just get so sad when we're so out there wanting to help. You know, we could be of service. We could do this. Like you said, helping people in the program and all that kind of stuff where there's such an adventure within in our memories and our the way we look at things, our point of view or whatever it is. It's like I walked out when I did it. I walked out in this fullness like, oh. I'm on more solid ground as a person. I'm not this grief generality floating around or this loss that I've never even identified. I have to know thyself. That's what I say. Know thyself and know because the more you know, the better it is. And I don't, I always say this, discovery is not recovery. You can know all kinds of things and go down the rabbit hole and all these stories, what Sonny talked about with your experiences but there's certain certain things you can do to recalibrate, to be this, what I believe is what we're meant to be on the planet, is happy and joyous. And I my look on death is not sad. I mean, my, God forbid I lose my fiance, my sisters, but I also know it's the circle of life. And it's given me meaning to do the grief recovery method because now I'm doing this, but you don't have to do the program to be able to, you know, you don't have to be a certified person, but go out freely. And maybe you can be a beneficial presence to somebody else who's very stuck and not recovered in their grief. And remember, grief is a heart space, not a head space. Mm. So get into that heart. And if you don't know how to do it, I am so happy to help you. And Sonny, any last words, any tips? Because our time is up. Okay. I did want to comment. I think it was before we started that you and I were were – uh, chatting it up where we talked about Thich Nhat Hanh who just passed away yeah. and how uh, I have Can you some- talk to say who he is? Oh yeah, Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah, Thich Nhat Hanh T-H-I-C-H second word N-H-A-T third word H-A-N-H Vietnamese Buddhist monk uh, who was exiled from Vietnam for speaking out against Viet Cong in the uh, 60s and 70s uh, the, you may uh, some people may have seen um, the image of a monk on fire uh, Rage Against the Machine actually used it for their very first album cover. That was in protest of uh, communism, and so this man was a peacemaker, peacekeeper. You know, I mean, he was a peaceful warrior. He was dear friends with Martin Luther King Jr., and he went on to live in France and to have and have um, a wonderful life of, as an author and as a teacher and as a you call him a guru if you want, the bringer of light. And so, uh, meditation, uh, mindfulness teacher, just incredible, Brad human. And he j- just passed uh, last week. Natural causes, 95 years old, right? And so he died last week. And I had a friend who was like, oh, man. You know, he was like, oh, dude. And if this heavy, like, oh, man. And I'm not making light of it. That's how it is affecting him. It's just he, he went, dude, the world lost a great man. And I said, well, buddy, we didn't lose it. We didn't lose him. That dude gave us so much, and it's still here, Right. It's still here, and you can feel that like gratitude of holy crap, that guy gave so very much, and it'll keep on giving, just like so very many. The the man's denial of death. There was a book called the, the man's denial of the denial of death, uh, written by I can't remember who it was written by, uh, but it's fabulous. It's very a bit heady, but 
It talks about that. That's what's one of the most painful things in our lives is our refusal to acknowledge that if we are born, we are going to die. And so, and we can say all these cliche things about like, you know, one day at a time, which is, yeah, that's all, that's all we can do. But to know it, to really feel it and acknowledge it is something new for me. I mean, you know, like I've got it all figured out. I'm 50 years old and I just did the, you know, just really processed grief at 49 last summer. And so that, that loss, of course, I got a picture of my dog that Buckley who died in 2013, right there on my desk. I showed you the other day. And so there's this living on of love in our hearts that we can still cry about. You know, we're not, how do, how do, how do we talk about it? How do we, the saying is like, we're not getting over it. I'm not getting over the death of my father. I'm, I'm getting through it. I'm processing it and walking forth with all that love and sadness and joy still to this day, but it's not crushing me today. Yeah. And there, there's a saying called, we live life on life's terms. How are we going to, how are we going to live with it? I know since I've been working with grief and death and loss and trauma and PTSD and all that, and what I've observed and, and witnessed is how to be in it in a way it deepened my appreciation. I look at my fiance now I'm 64. He's 70. I mean, we don't have, you know, are we going to have 30 more years? I don't know. I'd like to, but now I look at him with such appreciation. Like he went on a bike ride. I'm like, Oh my God, please be careful. What if? Cause I know people I'm in a group with people whose husbands have died. And they talk about, boom, my husband, the next day I was right next to him, he's gone. I'm like, oh my God, I'm learning from these people that you never know. You know I mean, we know I'll go first, he goes first, but I'm not flipping about it. But there's appreciation that I have for my family and friends. And even for you now, Sonny, for being on the show today. You're a beneficial presence on the planet. And I think the more we do work and know thyself and we can live life fully, happily and enjoy in spite of the losses, we are stronger than we think. And I don't want to say you're strong, but I'm saying we'll get you through. Strong's not even the word. The word is like you can walk around in peace. Thich Nhat Hanh, how we're going to end this. Thich Nhat Hanh, he ha- I have one of his hats, like a, a straw hat. It said, peace is every step. Mm. And I'll never forget that. It's like I can walk in peace and grief. It's a sacred yet it feels horrible, but you can be in grief and be in the sacredness of it. That's what I would like to see in our world. One last thing I, I, I say to people, I am, I'm sad and grateful, mm. sad and grateful at the simultaneously. I'm sad. Yeah, you can be that joyful. I'm sad and happy at the same time. That's some of the music that I love too, like city and color. I don't know if you ever heard city and color. That's one of the, one of the bands that really got me through if you will, that or that was at least going through it with me when I was in that, and then I still love them. But City and Color, C O L O U R, because they're Canadian and they spell it with a U. But oh, yeah, okay. So much beautiful stuff, yeah. And by the way, I'm also just so you know too. I'm a breathwork facilitator, and I, if you want to, if you want to share this on the podcast in links or whatever, I do a virtual group that is open to the public on Saturdays. I'll send you a link if you want to add this. Add oh, that please to it. do. We can't for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very helpful. It's community, even though it's virtual. I, we have people in, literally in South Africa, the UK, New York, Florida, Pocatello, Idaho, Texas. I mean, it's worldwide. It's and it's you know, thank God for this um, this format, this forum that we get to have through the internet, so that we can do this together. And it's a wonderful community that we've been doing for almost two years since the pandemic started. We've been oh, doing it every Saturday you. since then. So I'll share that with you and. Come and, and uh, get some love in and do some breathing and and, and get the flow going. Thanks yeah, breath work helps you like open your heart up and your whole being. And if you're in grief, you're in extreme sadness, the physical void, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Take a break a little bit with the breath class. You never know the revelations that may come up in breath work. So anyways, the end of the show and the podcast. Thank you, Sonny. You are awesome. One last tip for anybody besides the breath work. What did the breath work do for you? Like when you first started? Yeah, I actually, I became a breath work facilitator because it was so profound in the uh, experience of practicing it. And so breath work, at least particular, there's lots of different types. There's the Wim Hof techniques. There's, there's um, diaphragmatic, there's holotropic. This is a very simple technique referred to as sort of pranayama breathing. And um, it's a two-stage inhale all through the mouth, into the belly, into the heart, and out. And you continue this rhythm. And what happens is there's this 
beautiful oxygenation of the blood, of the body. We're bringing in energy. We're filtering it through the energy points, call them chakras, if you like, whatever the glandless or the uh, how they refer to it. Energy centers. Yeah, the energy centers, yeah. And so you process the, this, this energy through, and it's really good for we Westerners since we have a lot of us have a difficult time sitting still and just focusing on breathing right thinking 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 right so this actually gives the brain the mind whatever something to do while the body and spirit get to work together and so you can discover places in the body where potentially there's stored trauma grief and injury surgery like you find these different places in the body and sort of breathe through them and let those those spots release and open up and then these wonderful revelations come as well. It's it's quite uh, it's quite remarkable the potential it has to transform people. Yes, and the nervous system. A lot of our nervous system is in total whack when we're going through extreme grief, like grief, loss, change, whatever that is. Just know your nervous system. Your there's certain points of the body. You talked about the energy centers. Whether you know what energy centers are or chakras, look it up. Make your life fun and and get some new knowledge in there. And Sunny, I have to tell you, it was such a delight to have you on the show and your joy for living. And in spite of your losses, you've transcended it. And, and I'm not saying you forget it. You're, you're on your way and you're a young man at 50. (laughs) Thanks. We're all young. We're all eternal. Uh, I'm like, all right. (laughs) I believe it. Anyway, thank you everyone all around the world. You are special. You're appreciated. And I think the universe, the world, nature, whatever it is that you believe in, you're not here for nothing. You're here to live fully. And fully means to be in your grief, in your heart, if that is happening to you today. I have a grief recovery now private group on Facebook. We're on Instagram and all that good stuff. So look us up. And have a great one, everyone, and so happy you're here. And Sunny, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Charlene. Okay, peace and love, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.